I want to know how you know my name. But I've already told you. you told me nothing. Let me clue you, fatso. I don't like games. Oh, but that isn't true, Mr. Valentine. Why, why, you like roulette, blackjack, poker, craps, and between the ages of seven and ten, you, you were quite fond of mumbledy peg. We're gonna go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome back to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And um, I, yeah. I don't think I've made it through that intro yet without uh, playing air guitar along the Iron Maiden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then I feel like I'm just, uh, like, it's it's a good, you, you did really good with that intro. Like, it's it's awesome. And I, I love it every time we play it. It gets me in the mood to talk Aww. about some Twilight Zone. Aww, um, thanks, Paul. <laughs> and so, it, no, it's a really good intro. Like, I just, you can't, you know. Um, I'm not gonna. We've been doing this what for almost a year now, so I'm not gonna be like now. I finally tell you how I feel about it. That'd be it sucks. <laughs> I mean, it's okay, I guess. No, uh, so we're we're delayed here, so I apologize. I also want to blame people for not wishing hard enough after the last episode to make the next one appear immediately. So it's all your fault, but we came well, back anyway. Yeah, we're back, so that's all that matters, right? <laughs> right. Uh, and also, I feel weird because we were doing this right after daylight savings time, so. I do feel like a little discombobulated because everything's just like brighter now and I don't understand what's going on with life. Like leaving, <laughs> leaving work when it's d daylight out now is just still an odd, it, I'll get used to it, but that first day is odd. It's a great feeling. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, where'd that hour go? That feels like a good topic to have on the Twilight Zone discussion. Is does someone, does someone have a moment where they save that hour in a pocket watch? Maybe. I don't know. We'll find out later. <laughs> yeah, um, it was rough. We woke up, uh, Sunday morning with the time change and had to be uh, 40 minutes away at a 5k at like seven o'clock in the morning. So losing that hour of sleep was not fun. No, no. And I, even, even with me, I didn't have anything to do cause I'm, I'm not as nearly as uh, motivated as you are to go run a 5k. I, um, I <laughs> still felt like I was waking up and I, I still felt like I didn't get a full night's sleep. It's it, you know it's just weird, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, episode this week is a nice place to visit. Season one, episode twenty-eight, air date four fifteen of nineteen sixty. I, I wrote two thousand seventeen. I don't know why. Um, told you I'm discombobulated. So uh, number one film uh, is the Unforgiven, not the same one we we associate with. Yeah. Uh, but this is the one I was mentioning during um, execution that the lead on there, uh, Coswell. He's in this movie. So I thought that was interesting that, again, doing TV work and then being in the number one film, kind of cool. Um, but the, the movie yeah, itself, uh, it, lukewarm reaction because it was actually dealing more with uh, the racism towards Native Americans. So, like, the director fought for one version of the movie that was much more message-oriented, and the studio fought for more of a, like, a, like uh, a broader type of film, and then neither were happy with what happened. So... I think it's interesting that they're trying to advance ideas through Westerns and the studio's like, maybe not right now. Yeah. Well, I, uh, it was directed by John Houston and, uh, Burt Lancaster. Always love him. Audrey Hepburn, man. Yeah. I, I'm interested. I've never actually seen this one, but I like a lot of the people involved. So it, like I'll on paper, it sounds like it'd be one of those ones that, you know, would be talked about, but it just kind of got forgotten. Um, at least in terms of when you when you think of like like you know when I ask you to give me a list of thirty westerns, this was not on there. So um, yeah. <laughs> um, number well, one, you know, John Huston didn't have too many uh, films that aren't talked about anymore. <laughs> you go through his filmography, and it's just it's hit after hit. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I guess I guess they can't all be winners, right? Um, 
I mean, just ask Kevin Smith. Anyway, uh, so uh, number hey, one song. Hey now. <laughs> ask John Carpenter. No, anyway, um, I'm I'm getting pushing all Kevin's buttons right now. Uh, number one song is a theme from a summer place. Percy Faith is orchestra. We'll be with that for a little bit longer here. Um, I could not find anything for the 15th to talk about, but I did find on April 14th, uh, 1960, uh, Bye Bye Birdie, which was the first musical, Broadway musical to acknowledge rock and roll as part of its score, opened uh, in New York. So I thought that was interesting that that rock and roll was starting to creep into a lot of pop culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think this week also, um, I think it was the week Eddie Cochran died. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so there's a little rock and roll connection that has nothing to do with this episode. <laughs> well, no, but he wrote Summertime Blues, which everybody's covered, right? Well, yeah. did, or did he cover it? I, I thought he wrote that. Did he uh, write it? No, I, I think he was the original with that. I mean, don't question me about don't, don't like you could question me about my music now, which is clearly I just I showed how bad that was last time, last episode. Um, <laughs> with yeah, my, my... yeah, he was the original on that. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he wrote it too. So okay. Um, all right, so yeah, that's that's all I got for uh, for news and um, yeah. <laughs> Normally, I have something else, something space related. Nothing like that this time. Oh wow! Right. Um, all right. Well, I'll jump into crew here. This is directed by our old friend John Bram, who directed Time Enough at Last, Judgment Night, Four of Us Are Dying, Mirror Image. Uh, so we're very familiar with John Bram, uh, coming from the German Expressionist movement. Uh, this is also written by Charles Beaumont, who we've talked about on multiple episodes, um, and we will continue to talk to uh, talk about him, not to him, mm-hmm. uh, throughout the rest of the show. I'm sure. Yeah, I so. mean, basically, it's just that you got your A-listers here with this episode, right? So, and yeah. it, it, it shows definitely. Yeah, and uh, Charles Beaumont. This wasn't based on a short story or anything. As far as I could tell, this was just a uh, teleplay written for Twilight Zone. So it's always interesting when you get other people stepping in to actually write the teleplay for these episodes, uh, since we've mostly dealt with teleplays by Rod Serling. Yeah, and this one had a little different pacing to it, too. And I think maybe that, like that's that might be more Beaumont, because uh, like uh, other episodes we've seen so far, have had, I mean, all of them had endings. This one just had like just a button of an ending, though, you know, like, so yeah. that's very and we'll, we'll get there. But I was I was like, wow, that's the end. And it's like credits. That was that was really great. Um, <laughs> but yeah. All right. Well, let's get into this massive uh, cast for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got Larry Blyden, who plays Henry Francis, Rocky Valentine, uh, Mostly known for a ton of TV work. He did one other episode of Twilight Zone. His biggest film work was On a Clear Day You Can See Forever with uh, Barbara Streisand. Was it? Yeah, it's got to be. <laughs> um, and then we have Sebastian Cabot, who plays Mr. Pip in this. Um I, I was trying to figure out how I knew his voice. And uh, after the episode, I looked him up. And he's the narrator on Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, he's done. He did a lot of different uh, Disney things. Uh, I looked it up here. It's like he was um, as a Bagheera, the Panther in Jungle Book, Sir Ector in the Sword of the Stone, and narrator uh, for Sword in the Stone. I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the guy the guy has a really good voice. Um, like it's it, and I had I it's one of those guys. Also, when you see him, clearly recognizable. But I just I don't know. He looks like that guy. It's like I want him to be my grandfather. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, he was mostly known for his biggest role was, uh, I mean, outside of his voice work, he was on the show Family Affair that ran for like five or six seasons mm-hmm. in the 60s. I remember catching reruns of it. He was in that show. Um, and this was his only Twilight Zone appearance. Surprising. Uh, he, yeah, he he's, awesome. he's like the perfect magical guide through the Twilight Zone. Right. And that's that's such a recurring character throughout the show. How many times have we already seen that the yeah. magical guy that appears and just explains what's going on to the <laughs> to the crowd, basically? And uh, he's he's perfect for that. And I cannot believe he never came back. Right. And I see that he played uh, a Santa in the TV version of Miracle on 34th Street. So when the fact that he yeah. calls Santa Claus. Yeah, I, w- I was going to bring that up. Uh, Rocky calls him uh, 
Santa at one point and <laughs> as I was flipping through I'm like how many Santa clauses are we going to run into on this show <laughs> <laughs> they're either uh, up for the role for Santa Claus and Miracle on 34th or they were Santa Claus at some version of that story well it's the Twilight Zone that's where magic happens right so of course you're going yeah. to have Santa clauses all over the place where else are they going to be at yeah uh, that's all I had for cast there are a few other people um, that pop in and out of the episode, but there's not really much to go into on them. I have just a couple more things here. I just want to mention Larry Blyden. Sure. I saw that he was in a TV film in 1967 called Ghost Breakers, which is probably a way better name than that movie is, but I wanted to make a note of it. It's an awesome name. That uh, That is a TV film? Yeah. Yeah, that's been popping up uh, quite a bit as I'm going through people's filmographies. And their uh, catalog of work as we're doing the show. And I I never click on it. I just scroll past it. I might oh, have to look we, into that. We might have to look into Ghost Breakers. Um, yeah. so Bonus. The cop that is once tall and then made to be not as tall. So the, the lesser cop, his name is Nels P. Nelson. Like, I just felt bad that his his first name is a shorter version of his last name. Yeah, that is kind of a. And also, it's kind of appropriate, right? So, um, and then uh, Robert McCord was a waiter in this episode. I just the only reason I'm mentioning him is because I mentioned him in um, the World of Difference. He's that one guy that shows up in all the episodes uh, in ah, the bit parts. Okay. So this is his eighth of thirty-two appearances. Collect them all. Like there you go. So <laughs> I thought that was, I saw that name again. I'm like, oh, it's that guy. He's in everything. So that's that's all I got. That's fun. All right. Yeah. So I mean, basically, this episode is just two characters. Yeah. yeah, so not much as far as cast and crew, and we've already talked about the crew quite a bit. Yeah, so let's just let, let's just get right into it. Portrait of a man at work. The only work he's ever done. The only work he knows. His name is Henry Francis Valentine, but he calls himself Rocky, because that's the way his life has been. Rocky and perilous and uphill at a dead run all the way. He's tired now. Tired of running or wanting of waiting for the breaks that come to others but never to him never to rocky valentine a scared angry little man he thinks it's all over now but he's wrong for rocky valentine it's just the beginning very different type of cadence to that uh surly intro than normal for some reason it felt a little like you know like uh, the only work he's ever known like it was a really different surly reading to me yeah, and the, the I'm always kind of weirded out when he has that break in between the opening narration yeah. where they'll get into the actual plot of the episode and then come back to it. And, and not like a middle narration, which we've had a few episodes that do that. There's just a break in between it, and it's it's just strange. Not yeah. my favorite opening narration either. No, I mean, it, I mean he's still really good at painting a, a detailed picture with very few words. But at the same time, it's like I, this one didn't really do a whole lot for me because it's just like you get that Rocky is, a, you know, he, he's a criminal. But you, there's, a, there's a note of sympathy where it's like he's just tired of always wanting. It's like I never, <laughs> never got that from that character, you know, like. Yeah, it is. It is a strange uh, set of expectations that he gives you with that because I, I did write down in my notes Serling. Uh, being sympathetic towards the criminal character. And then halfway through the episode, I just scratched it out, and I was like, that doesn't make sense because his character is deplorable. Yeah, and it's weird because if you remember with um, What You Need, the the main character in that, he came down hard on that guy, and I feel like they're almost the same character. Yeah. And, you know, and just it's, just, it's odd. But, I mean, I, I get that you don't want to do the same thing over and over again. But, uh, yeah, I this one, this guy seems worse than the guy that was in What You Need. Yeah. Though it could have been Serling just playing with people's expectations. Because a lot of this episode is stuff we've seen. It's uh, dealing with themes that we've already seen uh, this far in the series. And maybe he thought, well, l- let's try and set him up, you know, have people kind of feel for him. And then realize what's going on. So when you finally get that button at the end of the episode, like you were talking about earlier, not to jump ahead, um, it, it feels a little bit more earned because you've developed your own thoughts on this character outside of what Serling had in the beginning. That's true. So it, it, it could just be him playing with our expectations at this point. But doesn't it show him robbing a jewelry store? And I mean, I don't know if that guy that was lying on the ground was supposed to be dead. He was moving a lot if he was dead. 
I definitely saw. I went back and watched a second time. <laughs> that poor old man that's lying on the ground, his hands twitch. He does like it's like I don't know if he knows he's supposed to be acting dead or just kind of discombobulated. But yeah, um, eh, you get the point. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's not feeling good either no, way. So, no. um, but then then Rocky runs out of the jewelry store because the cops are there, and the first thing he does is throw the gems down. It's like that's the whole reason you're there. If you get caught, they already saw you robbing the place. And if you don't get caught, you got the gems. Like, I don't understand yeah. why you threw them down. That seemed very, you know, it's, it's a, for someone that he's never had a job before, and this is the one thing he knows, that seems like a rookie mistake to me. Yeah. Um, all right. So this plot's not going to take too long to get through. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, as he's running away from a police, he's climbing over a fence. He gets shot and falls at the ground. After he yells moments. at the cops, he just taunts them. You know? Yeah. Like, he's just, he's on top of the fence, too. Like just a sitting duck taunting the police. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not a smart move. This dude. Yeah. Like you said, rookie moves all around. Uh, so he gets shot and he wakes up on the ground. And there is Mr. Pip standing over him. And it, it's it's kind of a sloppy way to get into the Mr. Pip character in this. He just tells him, basically, you can have anything you want. Yeah. And it, it just, I, I don't know... I don't know if I missed something in that scene, but it just felt really haphazard getting into the plot, the rest of the plot of this episode. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, so so Rocky wakes up and Pip's there, and he's like, "What's going on?" Like, you know, and he's like, "Oh, I know who you are." And he goes through that list, and then he talks about like, you know, how Rocky's like, "I don't like games." He's like, "Oh, you do like games," and that was the beginning of the show there, talking about all the games he likes. And mm-hmm. so Rocky is is very distrustful to start, which I mean. I honestly, I can't blame him, you know, like there's just a dude showing up talking to him very conversationally, knows his name. And, uh, and then he goes, try to rob him. He's like, give give me your money. And he hands him like, well, you need money. I got money for you. He's like, what? Like, and basically he starts to find out like this guy is going to accommodate him, but he doesn't trust him. And it's very, but, but since Pip, um, since Sebastian Cabot does such a good job of being warm and friendly. I didn't overthink that a whole lot. It's like, this is a nice old man. Like, clearly something's going on, but he's handing him everything he wants. Yeah, it's just, I, I don't know. I guess I guess it was Twilight rough. Zone, I shouldn't be questioning it. But it was just awkward because I, I don't even know what Rocky would have been thinking that this guy was doing. Like, the guy's just giving him all his free stuff and doesn't explain anything. Like it was, it was just strange that he would even go with him from the beginning. Yeah, it would have been way cooler. And again, I know, I know, I'm guilty of always rewriting. Like, let's say that he gets over the fence with the, with the gems, and then there's a car waiting. Like, get in, we got to go. And then, then you find out later that he had been shot and killed, but he doesn't know it because the transition happens there. You know, that would have yeah. been cool to have Pip be like the wheelman to take him to the, you know, the nice place or wherever it is. Yeah, um, it's ju- it's just one of those things that. Uh, I don't. I, I, I shouldn't be. No, it was awkward. Hard no, no, it's it's, yeah. it's a plot device to get us to the hotel. Yeah, I mean, you've also you've you've accused me of jumping too hard on some of this, but when you're like, it's a 25 minute episode. Like, what? We're, when can you get to the plot? Um, and I'm not like, and so I, I agree one, with you. Pardon the pun, though. Feels a little little bit rocky. <laughs> just getting into <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um. So I agree with you completely, you know, but again, I'm, at least they didn't take more time than he needed to get him to yeah. the hotel room. Yeah. I mean, that, that scene's over in about a minute and a half. Mm-hmm. So it, it doesn't overstay its welcome, nor does anything in this entire TV that, series. <laughs> that's true. Um, um, so yeah, they end up at this like really nice, uh, uh, lamp outlet store or I'm sorry. No, it's a hotel room full of lamps. Um, there was way a lot of lamps there. I don't know if you noticed how many lamps were in this hotel room. Um, I, I didn't count. There was, I mean, that's like, did they get a deal on lamps? I don't know what happened here, but uh, Pip brings him to this, this really nice, like, penthouse suite type of thing. And basically, he's like, hey, you're here. Um, I got some clothes for you. Maybe you should, like, you know, take a shower or whatever. And, and Rocky's kind of questioning all this, which I also, I don't know why, like, the, there's a stranger I don't know who's brought me to a hotel room. He's saying, take a shower. I'd have a lot more questions than Rocky had. Yeah, and just giving him the suite, basically. He's like, "Yeah, the, all this is yours. Here's your name on the on the wall outside." Like, it it just 
there there has to be more questions being asked by Rocky. I think that's my major issue. Yeah, it's just that nobody just pops up, even in his line of work. You know, who might be trying to get him to come over to their mob or whatever. I I don't know. I'm I don't know. Well, because he even says, "Let me let me talk to the (laughs) yeah." He's like, "Let me talk to the to the guy in charge," and he's like, "Well, I don't know if I could do that for you," you know. Um, but I do like that at one point he does ask Pip, "What's the pitch? What's the catch?" And I felt like that was a very meta Twilight Zone moment of like, hey, you got to give me something here. Like, what's going on? Yeah, this, this is something the other foot's got to drop eventually, right? Yeah. Um, I I, I kind of want to talk about how did you feel about Larry Blyden's performance in this? I didn't mind it. He's very over the top, but there is I, – I like that um, he was very mistrustful, but then he does a good job of showing the light bulb going off whenever it finally sinks in that he can have whatever he wants. There's a really good aha moment, but he's very, very much a bull in a china shop. Yeah, I I wasn't a big fan of his performance. Not to, I, I we usually talk about how amazing most performances are on the show, but his stuff just it felt like a joke to me, and I I hate that portrayal like the jokey uh, nineteen like film noir criminal that's just like see you no, know he and felt like he a Dick plays Tracy up criminal. all of yeah. those stereotypes and it was just grating on my nerves no you're right like it was definitely like the um the prototypical gangster robber type right like and i and some of the way some of the things he said and the ways he acted even though some of the stuff he said was funny and i, I was reading more about the episode later and the tv censors had a problem with some of the stuff he said oh yeah he was saying some terrible things about it <laughs> but yeah he was <laughs> just a women. wrecking ball yeah yeah and, no and uh i i read i read on a few sites that Mickey, uh, not Mickey Rourke. Uh, Mickey Rooney was originally <laughs> supposed to be the. That would have been a crazy episode and kind of impossible. Um, <laughs> I want to see that episode now. You can, you <laughs> but can have Mickey Rooney was uh, Beaumont's first choice for it, and then he actually said, "If you can't get Mickey Rooney, please get uh, well Serling. You take this role." And of course, Serling didn't want it. They couldn't get Mickey Rooney, and then it fell in the lap of uh, Larry Blyden at some point. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm curious how this episode would have played out if they would have been able to get, you know, if they would have got Rooney or Serling, it would have been, I, I don't think the comedy would have been as uh, prevalent in it. Yeah. I mean, because, like, um, you got Pip, who he has enough good zingers, like, he has some good one liners in the whole episode. And, yeah. And some of the, some of the results of Rocky's decisions are funny. Though I will give him credit. I, and I'm going to jump ahead a little bit here. There's a bit later where he's back in the penthouse and he's about to go to the Hall of Records and he leaves his uh, his hot dames in the room. He <laughs> stops for a second and looks back in and you don't know what's going on in that room, but his fo- his face sells it. And it was such a great moment of like, there's something wrong going on in that room right now. And he's like, I'm going to keep watching this for a second. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hall of Records. I like that. <laughs> it was really good. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's not the worst thing I've ever seen, but... Uh, so, some of his line deliveries and everything were just getting on my nerves. And uh, no, I agree with you completely. Yeah, just uh, just not a huge fan of him. I I did like uh, Cabot's performance as Pip. It, it's a character we've seen a few times on this episode. I don't think it was anything inspired, but he played the part well, and he was immediately likable. Yeah, I think he was different than like Catawalder uh, because Catawalder showed up I mean, very, very similar. I think that they work in the same agency, honestly. Uh, like they, they probably are in the same office where like they work definitely, in territory. Definitely easier to uh, like Pip yeah. over Catawalder, though. Because it's like at least you knew from the moment when the guy, um, the escape clause, when the guy said something about wanting to live forever, Catawalder just showed up. He's like, really? Here's a contract. <laughs> it's like. Oh, I could I could trust this guy, sure, you know, like, but I feel like this was like, I feel like Pip, I think he really loves his job. Like, I get that vibe. Like, you know, he may not care oh. for, for Rocky, but he really loves his job, and it shows. Yeah, I think it shows in the last ten seconds of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's like it's just you can see he's like, oh no no no, I'll do whatever you need, you know, and it's like, and he's very accommodating, and it's just very. Like and the fact that he said you said he was a family affair was he playing like a butler or something in that show? I believe I, so. Okay, so he's like the proto Mister Belvedere. Is, yeah. Okay, so yeah. that that seems that seems right for his type of demeanor. 
uh, in terms of the way like he carried himself in the episode. So very likable, absolutely. But you're right. I like um, Rocky. Uh, sorry, Landry. I take it or leave it. But just I mean, when you get these actors in that in that type of time frame, I mean, I don't know. It feels like it's a default setting for that kind of overacting, you know. Yeah, um, I, I, I was kind of thinking as you were talking about Sebastian Cabot, though, and his character, you know, we've seen characters like this, like Caterwaller is a great uh, character to bring up to compare to him. But again, maybe it's uh, playing with expectations again. Mm-hmm. Maybe as they were doing this episode, they're like, hey, like, let's not go the maniac- the maniacal way that we went with some of these characters. Um why, why don't we have this guy be perfectly likable? You know, basically Santa Claus giving him all the gifts he wants. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it does kind of mess with your, with your emotions. In this. Well, and it sells, and it sells the ending, which I know we kind of keep hinting at, but so yeah, uh, it's, it's, yeah. it's a big joke. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Rocky, he finds out like, oh, by the way, I don't, I don't want to skip over. So he gets in the nice suit, whatever, <laughs> like he's going to go fight, um, you know, Dick Tracy and this gang, whatever. But uh, he goes to to sit down and have food, and he asks uh, Pip. He's like, "Aren't you going to have some food?" He's like, "Oh no, I've I've forgotten to eat. I've forgotten how to eat." You know, which I thought was an odd statement. But then I love it that uh, Rocky's like, "Wait, I get it now. You bring a guy up here, you get him get him in a shower in a nice suit, and then you poison him." I see your plan. I'm like, "What kind of plan is that?" That the long game is, you know what? I have a really specific need, and that is to get guys really dressed up and then poison them. Like, I just felt like that was a really odd plan to have. Well, also, Pip says he hasn't eaten in decades or something like or centuries or something. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and uh, again, uh, Rocky just like, oh, okay. (laughs) You're going to poison me. It's like, hold on. Uh, let's, Let's take a step back and... What did you just say? <laughs> yeah, you know that's a weird thing to say. I haven't eaten in decades. Yeah, like, hmm. but I just I love it. It's like your whole plan is to get me all cleaned up and then poison me. It's like, yep, that's exactly <laughs> that's how I would do it. You know, um, yeah. But then yeah, they go out like a night on the town. They go to the casino, um, where he can't lose um, roulette to save his life, but he uses that as like a fun thing, right? Like he's out there with the women. Uh, being terrible to everybody. At one point, he tells the one lady, he's like, go get me some, he's like, get me some juice. And the sends her on his way, like, you know, very dismissive. Um, yeah. And then he goes up to the the other guest star of the episode. Did you did you see a familiar machine? Oh, yeah. The uh, slot machine from the fever makes an appearance. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was like, of course, it would also work in the same office as Catawater and Pip. I like. Yep. Like, yep. Same universe here. I like that. Like we're building a like an American Horror Story style universe for the Twilight Zone, and it was never intended. But I love the yeah. idea that they're just like, oh wait, we got a casino. Well, we got to get that machine from the Fever in here. You know. These these budget constraints are just genius. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he plays the machine. He he wins there. He goes out um, of of the casino. Which, by the way, did you notice the bags they're carrying out that said the casino? on it very <laughs> no i didn't realize it said that <laughs> and as they're leaving the casino they see a cop walk by and all of a sudden he gets a like uh rocky gets a chip on his shoulder and he's like look at him who do he thinks he is you know and then yeah. pip, pip turns him into uh half the man he used to be um and then they make fun of the cop and they drive away it was it's like the perfect night for rocky yeah yeah so then uh the next night he's uh doing the same thing and he goes up to pip and he's like hey uh how about how about we get a night on town and we get my old friends to come over and pip tells him that this is basically his own world and nobody else can come into this and everything is basically props for him yeah and uh rocky says he just uh, he realizes that he's made it to heaven or something and he's he's really just starting he's starting to get bored yeah and and the whole thing is like um so they go back to the casino there's an implication he's been doing this for like he said like a month now like at some point yeah um he goes back to the casino he keeps winning no matter what uh the you know the the slot machine pays out no matter what um and he's just bored and you know and the whole thing is he uh tells pip he's like you know well actually pip leaves him for a second um, no, that he leaves him later. I'm sorry. But at one point he's like, well, I want to know what I did to deserve to get here. And then yeah. that's when they go off to the hall of records. Yeah. Which I think we skipped over that. I think yeah. we're doing this plot out of order, but, yeah. um, 
Yeah, it's all right. So the Hall of Records, I, I it looked like the staircase from Time Enough at Last, it has which to was be. also directed by John Bram. And I, I couldn't find anything that said it was, but it's got to be, right? It has to be. Like, it has to be. It was such and, a fun uh, visual, though, of that stairway going up to those filing cabinets, though. Such a very, like, absurd, like, view view of the Hall of Records. I loved it. Yeah, and I, I was going to talk about that just because the episodes we've seen from this director have been really striking. I mean, time enough at last. Uh, one of the most memorable visual episodes they've ever done. Uh, Judgment Night, which uh, the story wasn't that great in that one, but I just I can remember the ship just being unbelievably shot in yeah. that. Um, four of us are dying. Probably not the not the greatest of. Uh, yeah. No, that was no, that one was that was pretty good. The, the but then Mirror Image yeah. was probably one of my favorite uh, looking episodes as well. Yeah. So this one, I I went into it really excited because this is a director that I've been really enjoying every episode I've seen, at least on a visual level. And I wasn't really digging this episode as far as the look. Things were fine. I mean, it was all back lots and everything, and it it looked good. He did a good job with set dressing and everything. But once we got to the stair point, I was like, all right, here we go. Now we're getting that weird, almost cabinet of Dr. Caligari looking uh, set and everything. I'm like, this is what I want from this director. And it's, it's so memorable. And it's, it's definitely a visual that I'm going to take with me the rest of the series. Yeah. And I feel like it lays the groundwork for what people should expect from the twilight zone later, where it's like, you're already in this far. We're going to take you one step further and give you like an absurdist like visualization of what we think a filing cabinet would be or a filing room <laughs> yeah. in the afterlife. You yeah. Know? And, you know, I was I was starting to get upset because I usually like really small scale stories with the Twilight Zone. But I I wasn't totally engaged with the storyline. Like I said, it's it's stuff we've kind of seen already. And, and not that that's bad. And it goes a few places that are a little bit different. But I wasn't totally invested with the storyline. And uh, I totally forgot where I was going now. <laughs> well, no, then you said like the Hall of Records um, kind of got you back on like, hey, like and yeah. then also too, whenever Pip says, OK, here's just just call me when you need me. And um, and we're going to like so. But then the phone is just a phone. It just has the, the letters PIP labeled on it. It's such a ridiculous thing, but it works. Oh. Yeah, no, that's what I was going to say. I usually love these small, uh, intimate stories between a few characters just, you know, but the story wasn't really grabbing me. And once we got to this Hall of Records and once we started getting into the the more Twilight Zone uh, things going on, I, I it pulled me back into it. I was glad they kind of expanded it and made the episode feel a little bit bigger. Yeah. Well, that, that's you, where I was going with that. Well, you, you <laughs> I always get away from myself with some of these. <laughs> well, you uh, need the Hall of Records because he starts questioning. He's like, well, what did I do to deserve to get here? And they go and look through his file, which for guys as bad as he is, the file seemed really thin, but that's just me anyway. Um, well, but the, I mean, the first thing you say is that he uh, <laughs> what was slaughtered a small dog when he was like eight years old. He's like, but it's it like, bit oh, me. Oh, God. It bit so, me. <laughs> and then he started a street gang at age eight, I think is what he said, called the Angels. Like, <laughs> yeah, the Angels. I wrote that down. <laughs> oh, God. Um, it's, it's so, I mean, like, this is stereotypical. Film noir criminal. Yeah. Um. So it, like, he starts to be like, "Wait a second, there's nothing good in here." He's like, "I must have did one good thing," and then it kind of gets dismissed because he's starting to have. You can start to see that he's starting to question really what's going on, right? So then he leaves the hall of records, uh, the hall of justice, and he goes back to his room. Um, and then that's when he really yeah. starts getting frustrated. Yeah. This this is when you really start seeing him going through the motions, and you see he keeps winning on the oh, on the. Okay. Uh, yeah. On the slot machine, he keeps winning at roulette. Uh, he's sick of the women, you know, the robotic women. He's sick of, uh, you know, he's just, he just sick of getting everything he wants all the time. There's no, there's no fun. There's no excitement anymore. There's no danger. And uh, being a, basically everything he knew was crime and uh, living in danger. He was just, he was getting sick of it. Yeah. And uh, he he finally kind of blows up on Pip and he's like, He's like, I, I think I want to go to the other place. I'm sick of heaven. Well, I, I, first he, he has that apple he throws. It turns into a, like it lands on a pool table. 
And then he, oh, goes yeah. to hits the, he goes to hit the ball, and all of a sudden they all just roll in. Like, this one touch clears the entire table. Which Yeah, that was, it, that was a good touch. I'm yeah. glad you brought that up. I just, I just wanted to mention it because he goes over the phone, goes to dial uh, Pip, and the moment he picks up the phone, Pip's right there, like, instantly, which I thought was funny. And yeah, I actually him, did laugh at that. That, you know, the comedy wasn't landing for me completely in this episode, but that was funny. He's like, oh, man, you got to stop doing that. You got to yeah. stop sneaking up on me. And then he's basically like, well, he's like, I, I need something. He's like, well, did you? He's like, there's a bank down the way or a jewelry store. And he's like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. And he's like, you know, he's like, uh, so if I rob this, though, I got a chance of being caught. He's like, well, if you want, like basically like saying, oh, sure, there's an element of danger if you want it to be that way. But then it's not really danger, you know, and yeah. that, that was the thing, too. Like he starts like getting frustrated because like he can't have the unknown. You know, and the unknown is what would drive him is like, you know, and and I mean, it's 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 what drives everybody. Right. <laughs> so then that's whenever he's like, I'd like to go to the other place. And he's like, what do you mean the other place? He's like, you know, to hell. He's like, you are in hell. And then he just has this laugh that just erupts. <laughs> and that's the end of the episode. And it's amazing. Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, it's definitely a punchline. <laughs> yeah. Which I mean, I when you think of. Like when you think of Twilight Zone as the iconic like twist, like it's been you the entire time or whatever. Like this is like pure crystallized Twilight Zone, like you know twist right here. You know, like um, it may not it was it was telegraphed the entire time, but just the whole thing of just like you got that laughter, the jokes on you, and the episode's over. Yeah, like no, it, it was a fun reveal. Uh, obviously, you can see it coming from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, it, I just, this is like a great Twilight Zone episode, but I just, I feel like we've already seen things like this, like being tortured with what you love, you know, uh, time enough at last, which John Bram directed elegy, uh, has similar themes going on mm-hmm. being stuck in that one thing that you love forever. Um, well, even which like- was also Charles Beaumont. So it's, it's a theme he's already explored in the series so it was kind of keeping me from really really loving this episode well then when you have something like walking distance which is basically be careful for what you wish for because you think the past was better than the present and it's not as cracked up like like these are themes we're going to see over and over again even the fever i think the fever is kind of a test run for this right like uh even though um franklin didn't want to gamble suddenly it was insatiable you know And, and it was consuming him you know so um, and I feel like as we go along, we're, we're going to get a lot of these morality, like, haha, that's what you get for wanting, you know, but I, li- I like yeah. this one just because the whole idea of giving you everything that you could possibly want with no strings attached, other than the knowledge that like eventually you'll d- deride no joy from it. Like that is so dark. It's very like, um, I don't know. It's, it's way like, I really wonder if I was stuck in this version of hell, if I, if I'm, I'm pretty sure my plateau for dealing with things would be probably higher for a much longer time. That's just me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, having the 20, 25 minute runtime in this, you don't, you don't know how long he's been doing this. You know. Yeah. It could have been a year of him doing this and loving it. it yeah. we, we don't know. So it, it's kind of hard to say, but it feels like no time. It feels like two days, and he's done. Uh, just because of the length of the episode, but yeah, I, I don't know. Gambling and all that would not be my dream, you know. No, no. But surrounding me in a house full of films, I could just sit down and watch all day. Like, <laughs> I if, think I'd be okay with it, you but, know. Like, but what if it was films you've already seen? Which that's not that's not accurate because you you wouldn't care anyway. Because you, I know, I see your movie collection. You'd be like, bring it. I've seen everything. I could watch all these over again. Watch Biodome every day. I still get the same joy. I've seen it 500 goddamn times. Still love it. <laughs> right. Um, it, it's it's almost like the Homer and Hell effect when he's like he's given all the donuts and then Hell runs out of donuts. You know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so I. You but know. no, I I do understand, and uh, there there is a great point because I mean beyond the fantastic side of that, you know, if you were stuck doing the same thing every day, would you get the same joy out of it? But you think about, say, say, let's use a roller coaster just to go back to perchance a dream. Uh, just reference that. You know, first time you go on a roller coaster, it's so much fun. Uh, say the fifth time you've gone on it, it's still fun, but you know what's coming. It's not as exciting. Or, you know, the first time you watch one of your favorite films, you just get that, like, intense feeling about it. And 
I, I there's so many times I wish I could go back and watch it for the first time because every time it's not giving me the same feeling. You yeah. know, it, it. I mean, you could use that for anything. No, you you're, know, you're and right. uh, and in a real world, you know, the more you do the same things, the less joy you are going to get out of it. So, and not being stuck doing it every day in hell, you know, as the episode says, it, it's definitely relatable though. Yeah, and I, I completely agree. I'm just uh, it's when you get to the details of like what was so bad. You got you got women. You got you know booze. Like you didn't really treat women really good, well to begin with. Like it seems like you're okay with that, yeah. but there's no challenge to him, and that's the whole thing. Is like he wanted he wanted to take, not be given, and that's his hell. You know, and uh, I yeah, can, and yeah. It, it's kind of like uh, you know, there's no challenge with it. And mm-hmm. going back to what you said, if I was surrounded by movies I've only seen. And I had to watch those forever. Like, there's no excitement of discovering something new. There's no, you know, and that that's really what the hell is. Yeah, that's true. Um, um, but yeah, it's interesting. I found I found a little article um, relating this to our current president right now. Um, <laughs> in this uh, biography that was written in the '90s called "The Deals and the Downfall" uh, about Donald Trump, <laughs> which is a, a kind of funny title for a book. Uh, now um (laughs) Uh, yeah he referred to this he referred to this episode as being an inspiration to him to live his life the way he does in excess and everything and building his companies and constantly winning and uh he actually recently running for president said if he is elected president will win so much you'll get bored of winning so he's still using this episode as like a talking point and learning from it. And it's so strange because I, I don't think he's getting the point of this episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> like I, 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 I would agree with that. I, yeah. I don't know if he's connecting to Rocky, which would be really scary, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I, I think he is kind of connecting with living the lifestyle that Rocky is in this and uh, completely missing the point. I feel like he was, ne- he's never seen the ending. I feel like he watched the first half and was like, this is amazing. That's my favorite thing. He just thing. keeps rewinding the uh, introduction into the suite. He's like, yes. Yeah. Yes, I love this. The women, the gambling. I love it. Treating <laughs> women horribly. <laughs> you know? And uh, yeah, he's just like, well, eh, this yeah. doesn't need to end. Right. So I just, but you're, you're right. Like, it, I mean, whatever your politics are, I, I find it odd that someone's like, this is my favorite episode. And usually when you ask somebody, like, what was their favorite book, favorite movie, you'll hear people explain why, and there's some kind of inherent lesson learned from it. Like, all he got was, like, the hook. He never got, like, the, I don't know, It's I've never I've never encountered somebody being like, you know what, I really like the beginning of this movie, I never want to see the end of it. It's like, that's my favorite part, when everybody's all good, everybody's getting everything they want. You know, like, like if I told you, yeah, that's hey, literally all he took out of it was like Rocky gets everything he wants. That's great. That's what I'm going to do. It's like my favorite movie. Like, the, that's the, it. <laughs> the fly because <laughs> Jeff Goldblum, he makes teleportation work. I don't know what happens to him, but he's pretty smart and he's going to be successful. Like, like what? What is that? <laughs> you know, like, I don't understand that, you know, but whatever. Uh, very strange. But yeah, I mean, that's about as topical as we can get with these episodes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, right? it's pretty crazy. I you know I was I was flipping through Wikipedia our wonder tr- wonderful treasure trove of false information that we've uh, rambled off in the past uh, 20, 27 episodes however far we are um, but yeah I clicked on the article that was uh, at, at that it was linking to after saying that Donald mm-hmm. Trump quoted this as being his favorite episode I was like this can't be real no I this had, cannot yeah. be real yeah and, I had to hunt uh, that down to verify it sure it. is. Yeah, like I was yeah, one of those things. So. I'm like, you can't let that go. We have to research that. So yeah, I, I yeah, that was so weird. Well, you know the the fact like in the 90s, like he referenced it, like whatever. But he keeps bringing it up. Like he brought it up <laughs> on the campaign road. Is that we're gonna win so much that you're gonna uh, get tired of it? Yeah, you know it, it's bizarre, bizarre. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, we, I live mean, in, we live in we live in the, in the twilight, twilight zone. So. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, just, I had a couple other notes here real quick. I just, uh, as we're, cause we tore through the story kind of bounced around. I wrote a uh, hell is full of fancy lamps. I figured I'd want to make that point known. Um, <laughs> what else do I have here? What do they pay you in and halos? I thought that was a fun line given to, uh, Valentine saying that the pip cause he didn't have any money on him. 
And I want to point out too, the first time he's at the casino, uh, the chandelier in the background and the staircase all point to him. He's the center of the shot. And it's actually like showing how the whole world is about Rocky. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that's uh, again, that's uh, that's John Bram's just unbelievable directing skill. (laughs) Yeah, I wanted to give credit Um, for that shot. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that that is a great point. Um, One of my notes was that uh, Rocky is a terrible dancer. (laughs) Yes. With the girl. It felt like it felt like (laughs) a 1960s episode of Batman for like a second. I'm like, what is going on here? Yeah. But but remember, he wanted wanted a broad that stacked and that that line almost got the episode pulled. (laughs) I I mean, even now, like you couldn't get away with that on on most shows on (laughs) network television right now. Yeah. Um, But so did you have any other notes about the episode? Because I have a couple of things I want to get into here real quick. Uh, Um, I like the I like the title of the episode. I mean, it comes from the old saying, nice place to visit, but I wouldn't want to live there. Yeah. And again, that's kind of telegraphing the end of the episode because you're giving away that something bad's going to happen. Yeah. And, uh, but I, I do like I, I like the title. Well, it's funny because he mentions that he wants to go to the other place. Uh, there is that show that's got renewed on NBC uh, for a second season called The Good Place that has Ted Danson and Kristen Bell where she dies and goes to The Good Place. And how she, but the thing is, it's it's a clerical error. Like she just has the same name as somebody that's supposed to go to the good place because she's a terrible person. Hmm. And it's it's I, I th- that is one of my favorite shows right now on television. I was howling every episode watching it. Ted Danson is like the architect of the good place, so he's not really a human. He's just trying to make sure everybody has like everything they need and want, kind of like Mr. Pip a little bit, but like but Ted Danson. Um, I, hmm. if you've not seen it, I just recommend watching it like because at first you're gonna be like this isn't my speed but then you're, it's going to get into showing how people get to the good place and like the scoring and like there's like negatives and positives for things you do and let's and if you look at all the scores one of them is being a cleveland browns fan gives you positive points because you <laughs> suffered on this earth like it's 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 from uh, michael sure the guy did brooklyn 99 parks and rec in the office oh yeah um, i like all those oh shows, my huh? goodness the good place hey. is amazing i've been watching modern family for like 10 years i'll sit through any uh <laughs> any comedy on tv i i think you dig it because there's cliffhangers it's like imagine a comedy that was like with cliffhangers like lost you know but it's it's, it's really funny and it deals with like the idea of what if you are an eternity but you don't think you really belong there and how do you interact with those that are, that are supposedly so good you know it's it, i don't know it, it, i i love the show and it felt very appropriate to tie that into to this show just because it is dealing with the afterlife and you know being careful what you wish for Type of thing. Yeah, it sounds um, like it. Oh, it's so much fun. But uh, real quick, just to mention, even though the Donald Trump thing is the weirdest thing we'll probably talk about in this entire series, um, I was looking up uh, odd punishments for crimes. So I just wanted to go over a couple of those real quick because uh, I figured this is appropriate because we're talking about unusual punishments. Um, four guys pleaded guilty to soliciting sex from an undercover police officer. So the judge forced them to take turns walking around in a chicken suit holding a sign that says no chicken ranch in Painesville. Basically implying that we're not we're not having a brothel here. I don't know if this is Painesville, Ohio, but I like that that they made him walk around in a chicken suit. Um, <laughs> some Satanists defaced a nativity scene, and the judge had them walk through town leading a donkey with the sign that says "Sorry for the jackass offense." I thought that was funny. Oh, I remember when that happened. <laughs> yeah. um, this this one kid was convicted of stealing from an adult video store, uh, so the judge had him stand outside blindfolded with the sign that says "See no evil." That feels kind of kind of appropriate, but kind of like that's a little that's a little archaic. Uh, but this one, this yeah. is one that I think you would appreciate. Uh, when um, was it? Andrew Vactor was caught blasting rap music out of his car. The judge ordered to reduce his fine if he listened to twenty hours of classical music, so that he would know what it's like to have someone listen to listen to music he didn't enjoy. The kid only lasted fifteen minutes. Like he couldn't he couldn't put up with oh. classical music, and he had to pay the fine. So I thought that That's was sad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love classical music. It'd just be like, hey, Kevin, I'm sorry. If you just listen to Nickelback for like, like, you know, 20 hours. All could- right. That might be, <laughs> that might be rough. How much is the fine reduction though? <laughs> right. Like I might have tough through it. Like, is this going to, is this like, going to put points against my license? It's like, yeah, $500 in points on my license. Maybe yeah. I'll do it. Yeah. This is how you we'll remind see. me. I'm just going to sit here and listen to this. It'll be fine. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's just get to the twist. 
I feel like we should have done that before I talked about the judgments, but whatever. Um, I'm giving this a four out of five because this is a very classic Twilight Zone twist ending. Um, it's just that I think because I've seen this episode previously, I knew what was coming. And it's telegraphed all throughout, but I love the ending so much that I'm going to give it a four. Man, this is a rare occasion. Uh-oh. I'm giving it a two out of five. Two? You're giving it a two? I'm giving it a two. Wow. I, it just it did not strike me as being anything way too out of the ordinary. Um, I think I think we've already seen way better twists in the show. I I just saw it coming the whole time. Like I said, it's telegraphed, and I I, I don't know. The comedy was just not hitting, and the laugh at the end and everything just did not sell it for me. You know, I, I, I got a chuckle out of it, and I knew it was coming. It wasn't a complete failure, but just not my favorite. Yeah, that's fair. Everybody yeah. mark your calendars. This will be probably one of the few times that um, I'm more favorable to an episode than Kevin is in terms of uh, my judgment. Uh, yeah. I don't know why. I just like I feel like this one felt more like this one felt more like creep show tales from the crypt. Like you know, yeah. You you tend to like the kind of whimsical episodes that we've covered. Um, a little bit more than I have. Yeah, that's true. Because even uh, uh, which uh, one for the angels you liked a little bit more than I did. Um, yeah, may- maybe I'm just not into some of the <laughs> the comedic episodes. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I guess so. But um, all right. So yeah, um, all right. That, I, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Kevin, how can people find us? Uh, as always, you can find us on Facebook, Strange Highways Podcast. Uh, join in the conversation. Uh, again, we've been having some uh, good comments going on there. Really appreciate hearing what you guys think about the episodes and telling us, uh, giving us a little bit more insight on uh, some of the episodes that we may have glossed over. Um, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play Music. And if you'd rate and review us on there, we'd really appreciate it. It helps us out and uh, gets the word out about the show. And uh, if you want to write us voicemails or emails, uh, strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, so yeah, uh, we've been getting some interaction recently on the Facebook page. We love it. The more the more talk, the like. There's that just shows that everybody just still enjoys this show and us talking about it. So we appreciate it. Um, yeah. Next episode uh, is Nightmare is a Child, which I have no idea what this episode's about, but I completely agree with the title. Yeah, that's a that's an amazing title. <laughs> I'm so into this. So, it's gonna be great. Um, yeah, so uh, that, that that's that's gonna do it for us. Like I'd say, have a good week. Don't have too good of a week because then you don't know. Maybe you're maybe you're a place you shouldn't be. I don't know. That, that I don't know what to say about that. Like, just if you keep winning and gambling all the time, maybe you should walk out. Yeah, maybe uh, stay away from them stacked broads. <laughs> See? <laughs>